0: This is Your Morning Basket, where we help you bring truth, goodness, and beauty to your homeschool day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 50 of the Your Morning Basket podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I am so happy that you are joining me here today. Well, today on the podcast, we have Andrea Asif. And Andrea is a homeschooling mom who splits her time between living in Michigan and living in Rome and even making a few extended visits each year to Lebanon. Andrea also has a very unique take on morning time. She calls it calendar time, and she matches up her morning time with the seasons of the church year. So we're going to be talking to Andrea today all about her morning time variation and how she makes that fit with her family. We'll get on with that podcast right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Your Morning Basket podcast is brought to you by Classical Academic Press publisher of the award-winning Writing and Rhetoric Series, which trains your students in grades 3 to 9 to write and speak effectively. Assuming that students learn best by reading excellent whole story examples of literature and by growing their skills through imitation, the Writing and Rhetoric Method employs fluent reading, careful listening, models for imitation, and progressive steps. Exercises in the Writing and Rhetoric Series are cumulative, meaning that later exercises incorporate and build upon the skills acquired in the preceding ones. It does not skip from form to form, leaving the others behind, but rather establishes a solid foundation of mastery by blending the forms. This series truly is a step-by-step apprenticeship in the art of writing and rhetoric. Many of history's greatest writers became great through the use of this effective and uncomplicated method, and your student can too. Moreover, the Writing and Rhetoric series has been touted by busy homeschool moms, including me, as an easy-to-use or open-and-go without sacrificing rich content and skill-building. Moms also say their children have moved from dreading their writing assignments to eagerly anticipating them each week while making great progress. The first few chapters of each current Writing and Rhetoric levels are available for free at classicalacademicpress.com. You can try before you buy. In addition, as a Your Morning Basket podcast listener, you can save 20% off all writing and rhetoric materials at classicalacademicpress.com through December 2018 by using the coupon code PAM20. And now, on with the podcast. Andrea Kirk Asaf is an editor, writer, and former Vatican-based journalist and voice talent. She and her family live between Rome, Italy, and a farm in Remus, Michigan. She and her husband created Roots in Rome, a company that hosts academic groups and pilgrims in the Eternal City. Now, besides writing, her major work is her family's school of formation, the Kirkos Caravan. The youngest daughter of Russell and Annette Kirk, Andrea continues the Kirk legacy through compiling anthologies of her father's work, administering the Russell Kirk Reading Group, and assisting the Russell Kirk Center for Cultural Renewal as a member of their board of advisors. You can find her at www.thekirkoscaravan.com, and her little book of wisdom series can Can be found on Amazon. Andrea, welcome to the
1: program. Thank you so much, Pam. So happy to be here. I've listened to all these podcasts, and they've been such a help in my homeschool that I'm really uh, thrilled to be part of this legacy now.
0: Well, thank you so much. You know, it's so much fun because you and I have emailed back and forth a couple times, and we even got to meet in person once. So it's always really fun to get to interview somebody for the podcast that I actually know in real life.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Well, let's start talking about calendar class because that is what you call your version of morning time. And I think this is so fascinating that you've really kind of taken the whole morning time thing and and put your own twist on it and made it into something that really works for your family. So tell us a little bit about what calendar class looks like at your house.
1: Well, I was thrilled to find out about Morning Time through your podcast because we had been doing something similar. And so I I just realized that there were other people in the world that were thinking along the same lines as uh, we were and that I had uh, had friends out there. So that was a real help. Um, I began calendar class actually before we started homeschooling more as a um, school of family formation plan. And then when we began homeschooling, I uh, added that name onto it, and I made it a little bit more academic using a lot of the tips that I picked up in your podcast. So our calendar class and our homeschool curriculum are actually year-round. We follow the liturgical calendar of the Catholic Church as well as the secular or Gregorian calendar, and what that looks like is something like this. I'll take you through the year. Okay. In January, okay. we create an annual agenda for our family and we check in with it at the beginning of each month. At the beginning of each season, we have what we call a, uh, a seasonal feast. I call them the four feasts. And we invite other families and they, we have a potluck of seasonal themed uh, food and drinks. And each family puts on uh, something to perform for, for uh, the other families. So it could be poetry. It could be something that they've uh, worked on in their music classes, uh, recitation, um, and it usually has something to do with uh, the seasons. Um, and then at the beginning of each month, we have a smaller get together. We invite maybe two or three friends over, and we look ahead at the month, what uh, the different themes are. And one of the nicest parts about those gatherings is that because we have such uh, few, so few guests, as opposed to the big four feasts. We ask those friends to share with us their memories of uh, their childhoods and what they uh, recall and associate uh, with that particular month. Um, so that's led to some rich conversations. Um, but then we have of course the daily calendar class and that's a lot more like morning time. Um, the flow of that is that we begin with a morning offering which is customized to our calendar class. So. What I mean by customize is we talk about what's happening that particular day. So we'll mention the saint of the day. We might even mention what the weather is like that day and, and we express gratitude for the gift of life on that day. And then we, we offer it up to God. And then we talk about what is called the four cycles of life. These are my themes. What's a little different about our calendar class as opposed to, um, most morning times that are described using academic subjects is that instead of academic subjects, I have chosen themes. So the themes are the four cycles of life, and they are liturgical, sanctoral, human, and natural. And we read about those different cycles in each day. So for example, the liturgical season might be the mass readings, or right now we're in Christmastide, we could read something about that. The Sanctoral Cycle is the saint of the day or a special saint of the month if we want to take more time on one particular saint that month. In the Human Cycle, we will celebrate uh, milestones in the lives of our family and friends. So if it's somebody's birthday, we'll call them up or we'll make them a card. Um, We also study the history of the day, and that leads to all kinds of rabbit trails. So I have to really pre-select what history of the day we're going to study. And then for the Natural Cycle, we might do a quick uh, nature study, just looking outside, or we might use a resource and learn about uh, what's happening that season. I also really like Old Farmers' Almanac. They send out a uh, daily newsletter, and there's all kinds of fun uh, seasonal information, scientific, folklore, recipes, etc. So those are the four cycles, and then we might go on to different lessons of the day, like bedtime math or an art app, something like that. We do copy memory work. We do some uh, recitation and uh, I'll add in something for the preschooler. I usually do that at the beginning to, to keep her happy and then give her some uh, coloring pages for the rest of uh, our calendar class. And then we end with the sign of peace. And if I haven't completely lost their attention by then, they go off and they do their independent studies.
0: Okay, so I have so many questions now. <laughs> this is great stuff. Okay, first of all, you are a planner, aren't you? You really
1: like to plan. Yeah, I have probably thousands of pages in my Google Docs of plans, yes.
0: <laughs> okay, I always know a fellow planner when I come across one, and <laughs> you are definitely one, and I love it. Okay, so at your monthly meeting, I want to go back to that for a minute, because it sounds like you're not just having people over who are the same ages as your children. These are kind of cross-generational meetings, it sounds like, and you're actually kind of socializing your kids with people of different ages at these meetings?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's how I was raised. My parents always had uh, lots of um, people over, um, thousands over the years. And um, and so I was comfortable with adults from a young age. And I just kind of assumed that my children would be raised that way too. And, and in fact, we live close to my parents' house and we still have people coming to my parents' house. So I invite them over. Um, and they're fellows usually uh, at the Kirk Center where my Mom works, and um, they're from their 20s on up to their 40s. Um, or we invite neighbors over. Um, so our our good friend and neighbor is in his mid 80s; he's frequently a guest. Um, and then at all of the seasonal feasts, we have families over. So they're from babies all the way on up to grandparents.
0: I love that, and I love that you're purposeful about connecting your kids with. People of all different ages and letting them tell their stories. I mean, you know, something I haven't really thought much about doing, but it it makes so much sense. And just what they could learn from that would be lovely, I really think. You've probably seen the fruit of that.
1: Yes, definitely. Well, I I think um, if you talk to anyone, they'll mention the person that they were most influenced by in their education more than a, a particular subject. It's usually that personal relationship that makes the difference. So. I wanted my kids to have that, but actually, where this idea came from was from the human cycle out of the four cycles. So I wanted my kids to to know about the human life experience in in its different stages. And so what I did was connected each season of nature with a season in a human life. Um, so <laughs> this is kind of funny. I guess you'll probably appreciate this, PM, more than uh, than others I've spoken to because you do a lot of educational research yourself, but. When I was starting off homeschooling, there was some uh, research coming out of the University of Texas about um, executive function,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I read about how the brain um, solidifies around the age of 25, that part, the prefrontal cortex. And so I thought, oh, this is really interesting. That And the prefrontal cortex is responsible for discernment and judgment. And I thought, I'm not going to let my kids make any major decisions before the age of 25, (laughs) 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 because the prefrontal cortex is not sealed. Um, And so I really thought about this and how that first stage of life up to age 25 could be called the apprentice stage, where we're learning from our elders all the time, and also through observation and experience and failings. And And so I called it, it's the springtime of life, it's the apprentice stage. Well, what's next? After you have gained judgment and you have gone through the apprentice stage, then you become more of a missionary. So I associated that stage with the summer. That's when we use what we have learned in the apprentice stage to go out and to find a vocation, to, uh, to, to have adventures, to live your life. And when we have our most health, too. And then after that, there's the autumn of our lives. And I thought, what would be the autumn of a life in the human experience? How about the teacher? Because by then, the the person has not only gained from the apprentice years skills and knowledge, but has had different experiences and has tried out those things in real life and is able to then teach skills and things to the next generation. Well, then the winter stage was pretty easy to assign I call that the sage stage, because then you not only have the experience and the skills, but you have the wisdom. You can look back at your life and make analogies and pass on not just knowledge, but wisdom to the previous generation. So that's the philosophy behind it all. That's
0: awesome. And so you have people from those various stages come in in those monthly meetings and those seasonal meetings and interact with your kids.
1: Yeah, and one thing that I've always wanted to do, we've done it you know in a spotty way, is honor uh, one of the people in those particular stages at their feast. So for example, when we have the spring feast, we will crown the apprentices and we'll do something special for them. They'll be the guests of honor. Or when we have the winter uh, feast, anyone over the age of 75 gets to wear the crown and, and he or she will take center stage and, and impart, impart his or her words of wisdom to us.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I love how you are constantly building ritual for your family. So you, you really set a big store on ritual and what it can do for formation of a person.
1: Yeah. Well, I was um, just starting to listen to to Misty's uh, podcast about that, about repetition. And it really struck a chord with me because I think it takes us so long to really learn the important things in life, like reading a good book over and over. And each time you read it, you learn something new, like the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I re I listened to them again uh, when my kids were little and I recognize so much more than I ever picked up as a child. So I think it's important for, um, to go back continually, like the rings in a tree. As we grow older, we can see more, we can add more to our lives. Um, and so I put in these rituals as just ways to do it in an easy way by incorporating them into our lives as a natural, natural thing that we always do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Okay, so you made mention at the end, uh, when you were telling us about your calendar time, you said, if I haven't lost their
1: attention.
0: (laughs) So uh, does calendar time, does it tend to happen all at once at your house? Or is it spread throughout the day?
1: Uh, it's spread throughout the day. The thing is, mommy likes calendar class more than the kids do. <laughs> so I could do this every day for hours because I'm so interested in all of it. Um, and so I have to be careful not to talk beyond their interest level and, and energy. Um, so I try to keep it really short. Usually our calendar class is uh, about no more than 40 minutes. Um, and then we move on to the more academic stuff. Yes, our calendar classes, so it spread throughout the year, as I explained, but also we have different points throughout the day. Um, one of the things that inspired me was the medieval practice of the Book of Hours, which are personalized, uh, customized books, prayer books to mark the hours of the day. And so what I decided to do, because I have such a hard time getting the kids all gathered together because they have their own interests, they could probably educate themselves without me, but I wanted to be involved too. So um, what I do is I bring them together for mealtimes and I peg everything to those meal times. So first we have a, a prayer associated with that particular hour. So for the morning, it'd be the morning offering and then breakfast and calendar class. At noon, we will pray the Angelus and uh, then have lunch and the read aloud. At three o'clock, we will have our snack time. So we pray the divine mercy prayer. Um, and then we have tea time arts appreciation. That just means we have a snack and maybe I'll put it in a, uh, the drink in a teacup and we'll do something from our basket of uh, arts appreciation material. Um, And then at six o'clock, we have uh, uh, the gratitude grace, where we go around the table, we talk about something we're grateful for that day, and we say our prayer. Um, And then in the evening, we finish off the day with family hearth ritual.
0: Okay, and so your family hearth ritual, we're going to kind of skip ahead to that. That's kind of your evening morning time, right?
1: Yeah, it is a lot like uh, how hear other people describe their morning time. Uh, We begin with a call and response, and I actually got that from one of the interviews uh, on your podcast. Uh, We say, let us remember, and the kids say, that we are in the presence of God. So I took that directly from uh, someone that you interviewed, I think it was Courtney Garrison. And that's very effective in setting a tone, and they like it. I tried it out for a while, and I thought... Oh, I don't know how this because I've tried out a lot of different things and I've, I'm constantly tweaking things. And I I don't know how they like the call and response, but it's they've been very uh, they've been very calmed by it and, and they like it. So we've kept that. And then uh, we do our family intentions and a family prayer that I created. Um, and then we do family formation readings. So that could be anything. Sometimes it'll be fun fiction or other times it'll be something particularly for families, some advice for families about struggles that we might be having. And then we finish with a lullaby. It's important for me that we memorize lullabies because they're so calming and we've got two little kids in the house and it would be nice if the older kids could sing these lullabies to the younger kids and then when they become parents, they can sing these same lullabies. So I've added that to our memory work and then we finish with a hymn that we've always sung since they were little. We don't always do all of that. When tempers are short or when time is short, um, sometimes we will just sing the hymn or just do the prayer.
0: Okay, so you're definitely willing to cut it short when you need to, to you know, kind of save the ebb and flow of the day.
1: Yeah, because I've planned so much, as you can see, I I try to put so much into our year that my new motto has become something is better than nothing. Um, Because it's better to have even just a short prayer or a hymn to close out the day than than just to throw my hands up in the air and say, well, everybody's fighting anyway, or we don't have any time, I'm not going to do this. Even just taking you know, 30 seconds and closing out the day with a hymn reestablishes that routine and ritual and creates a little bit of peace.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's great for just regular morning time too. As as you're getting started with your day, I have found that if for whatever reason we need to cut our morning time short, uh, that it's better to do a, you know, a small portion of it for us is the prayer portion, Uh, you know, light the candle, say our prayers blow out the candle and then move on than it is to just skip it altogether.
1: Yeah. Consistency adds up. Definitely. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Well,
0: you spend part of your time in uh, the United States in Michigan and you spend part of your time in uh, Italy, in Rome, actually. So, Does your morning time, does your calendar class look different depending on whether you're living in the United States or in
1: Italy? Yes. Well, I'm looking right now at the resource I'm going to use for uh, 2018. I'm really excited to have discovered it in a bookstore. Um, We're going to be in Rome from January until June. And since that's a big chunk of time, I decided to buy an Italian resource for my calendar class. And it is um, uh, an agenda book, an annual agenda, by a celebrity chef in Italy who also happens to be a nun. <laughs> so it's really perfect for my four cycles because um, it has uh, the gospel of the day and a commentary, the saint of the day. It has a recipe for the... Um, a seasonal recipe for our natural cycle. And then it has the history of the day for a human cycle. So it really covers everything that I wanted to. Plus there's um, a section for journaling so I can write down any additional information that I might want to share with the kids. So we're using an Italian resource when we're in Italy and we have to read that every day and we're not fluent. So that means that's a lot of practice for us. Um, And then of course we do uh, for our place studies, when we're in Rome, we study Roman history and Italian history, because so much of uh, world history is influenced by Rome. So it's kind of a, it's an all-in-one for us. And when we're in Lebanon, I'm actually in Lebanon right now, um, we study Lebanese history and do some intensive Arabic. So yeah, we add more of our uh, place to our calendar class, wherever we are.
0: Oh, I love that, how it's actually influenced by place. Okay, so this, well, I was going to say, this Italian book, can we get it in the United States? But it wouldn't do most of us any good because it's in Italian. So even if we could get it.
1: Yeah, unless you're studying Italian in your uh, homeschool, um, then it would be a really fun way to integrate it into real life because you get to try out the recipes and it's just kind of fun. But I'm sure that there are things in the United States like that. But this one is a particularly Italian because um catholicism is is practically the state religion in italy so it's very mainstream uh this particular book
0: oh wow that it does sound like a fascinating resource well let's talk a little bit about foreign language do you because you guys you're basically trilingual uh even though you you know you're practicing your fluency in italian but do you uh do you incorporate those the foreign language into your calendar class?
1: Yeah, the most fun way I think, and the best from a family formation perspective to incorporate foreign language into uh, our calendar class is through memory work so it could be seasonal like um in in the spring, I often have them learn the prayer of Saint Francis in both Italian and in English, and we will recite that. Um, Around the feast, oh wait, the feast of St. Francis. Is I was going to say that's in October.
0: October. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, am I missing something? Because we usually talk yeah. about St. Francis in the fall.
1: <laughs> there, there must have been a reason I had them learn that. I don't know why, but I associate it with spring for some reason. Um, so. Yeah, so at any rate we we choose different things that we want to memorize for different seasons or occasions and um and then I will try to translate it into the three languages. So Christmas carols are a perfect example of that. We can choose a couple of carols that are uh, that have been translated into all languages and we can learn just those carols but in the three languages and we can alternate when we sing them like Monday in Arabic, Tuesday in Italian, Wednesday in English, something like that. And then we just I don't choose a lot of things for them to memorize because we're memorizing them in the three languages, the same thing.
0: Oh, that is fascinating. Uh, that's really, really cool. And we should point out if, if uh, people didn't pick up from your last name, your husband is from Lebanon. And so that's where the Arabic comes in and the visits to Lebanon. His family is actually there.
1: Yep, and we're studying some intensive Arabic right now. It's easier to do it here because we have the resources and it's all around us. It's in the atmosphere, whereas it doesn't feel as natural to study Arabic or Italian when we're back in Michigan. So I've, I've learned to adapt to that situation too, that I can't push my kids too hard to study those other languages when we're not in the right atmosphere.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like it would probably be a lot easier when you're uh, immersed in it you know, if you will, uh, they can
1: see immediately when they'll be using it. So it, it, um, you know, gives them some motivation.
0: Let's talk a little bit about living seasonally. I mean, you really do this. You do this not only with the liturgical year of the church, but you also do this with the natural seasons, the four seasons of the year. What do you think is gained by living with an intentional awareness of these seasonal cycles?
1: Oh, this is a big question for me, Pam, because um, it's what I've built our whole uh, family formation plan around. I think I've explained it in detail what I mean by the four cycles of life and living seasonally on our website, but um, there is an essay by Jeff Marius of catholicculture.org that I'd love to link in the show notes because he explains succinctly the connection between um, the natural cycles of life, the seasons, and the human life. Um, But the short answer is that the more we understand the seasonal cycles, the more we understand ourselves and our world. And being ignorant of them or choosing to ignore them just means we'll have a harder time to find our compass in life. Um, So the four cycles of life is pretty much what I have chosen as the compass for our family. Um, Now, we went all out and we bought a farm and we're learning about homesteading from Amish neighbors. Um, And we live in a place, Michigan, or at least some of the year, in which the four seasons are really extreme. So it's very apparent those kind of lessons of life of how we go through different stages in life and what the natural seasons can teach us, and how they mirror our liturgical calendar, especially as, as Catholics, um, it's really apparent there. But in Rome and in Lebanon, it's, it's a lot milder, and so I'm having a hard time adapting my seasonal studies to these climates. Um, but there must be a way, because uh, the liturgical calendar is, is very rich here, too. And in fact, it was even created in Rome around the agrarian uh, traditions. So I'm still working on that aspect. Right.
0: And, you know, one of the things I love about the liturgical cycle, and I know a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with this, and then some are, are going to be not as familiar with it, but it's it's definitely worth looking into because you're following the life of Christ throughout the year. You know, you start with his birth at Christmas and, you know, these periods of ordinary time are his ministry, from when he was, uh, you know, in his early 30s up until the time of his crucifixion. And then you have his crucifixion and, and his resurrection at Easter. And so you're always talking about and you're always coming back to it. I think that's the wonderful thing is, is you always come back to these different parts of the life of Christ and, and following these. And so it really does keep you in touch with right. him Um, you know, as you're cycling through various readings and, uh, holidays and things like that. So that's one of the things I appreciate about it.
1: Right. I, I agree. I don't think that you can learn it all in one year. It's one of those things that we need to do over and over again and, uh, see it through new eyes each time we experience, uh, the same holidays. Um, so we follow the life of Christ. And of course, in the early days of the church, there were a lot of uh, comparisons between the Son of God and then the Son, which the Roman pagan agrarian calendar was based around. So you find those parallels all the time, like the winter solstice happens at the time of Christmas. Uh, The summer solstice happens at the time of the Feast and the Nativity of St. John the Baptist. And so when we have the summer feast, we always read. What St. John said, um, I must decrease so that he may increase. And that's an exact parallel with the uh, summer solstice, that from that date on, every day, the light decreases until it arrives at the winter solstice, when then, from the birth of Christ, every day, the light increases, and then there's a continual cycle that happens over and over again.
0: Right. So even the seasons can point us back. Uh, to Christ as as we go throughout the year.
1: Yeah, I remember you interviewed Lila Lawler and she um, remarked that the the liturgical calendar is a perfect teaching tool. And I would add to that. I think also nature can be an excellent teaching tool when you know how to make the uh, analogies.
0: Yeah, make the connection between the two. Yeah. And the other great thing about the liturgical year is it's there's such a great, you know, rise and fall of kind of a, a fasting and a feasting there. And I think so often in our society, we're always on the feast, you know, <laughs> we're always not even just food wise, indulging in treats and things like that. But everything is so easy for us comparative. To, you know how it's been generations past and so sometimes if we allow ourselves to go into that that preparing waiting fasting mode we just came out of advent not too long ago and then lent is just around the corner and we're not always feasting it just makes that feasting time so much sweeter and i think it's a you know we get the sunshine in the summer and we get to go out and enjoy ourselves and have a good time and we appreciate that all that much more because of the cold of winter but i think we enjoy the the feasting so much more because of the fasting in between too
1: it's such an important—I mean, I, I only really learned this as an adult by uh, following the liturgical calendar with my own children about these penitential seasons, and that Advent is actually a time for um, fasting and not for feasting. Um, but it's such an important thing to teach our children, and the most natural way to teach them is just by slowly living it year by year rather than just giving them a lecture and hoping that they'll understand Yeah.
0: What do you think we lose when we don't pay attention to these seasonal or liturgical cycles?
1: Well, I think probably you just lose a richness of life. Um, And we probably lose uh, some understanding, depth of understanding of of what life is all about. So it just diminishes our experience of life and um, makes the road toward wisdom a little rockier, I suppose. Um, I just find that Embracing the seasons has enriched our lives so much through the through the uh, fasting as well as the feasting, um, because you appreciate the highs when you're willing to accept the lows.
0: Now, you know I live in Alabama, and so we don't have seasons that are as distinct as Michigan. So since you have experience with this, with the temperate climates of uh, Italy and Lebanon, what can people like me do? To kind of recognize some of these seasons, uh, especially the natural seasons. I mean, obviously, we can follow the liturgical seasons, uh, no matter what the weather is outside. But do you have any tips for the natural seasons?
1: Well I've, I've become more aware of what's happening in the natural world now that I know that there's such a connection between the liturgical uh, calendar. Like during the gospel readings in the summer, um, I noticed some of the languages about like the, um, the the harvest and then at other times they're about storms. And those readings were chosen because that's what's happening usually in the climates that have the four seasons. So what is it like to hear those things outside of um, that climate? (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have an answer. I'm still looking at that. But I do know that in the United States, in um, very developed, highly industrialized, developed societies, it's becoming harder and harder to relate to the language of the Bible about um, the, the rural life of shepherding. So, in a sense, being over here in the Middle East right now, they can still relate to that because even though in a place like Beirut here, it's highly industrialized, just up the mountain are farmers living the way that uh, the way that they did in Christ's in Christ's day. So, in in Georgia, I don't know. I'll have to go and live a while (laughs) and figure it out. But I do know that literature really helps. Like I've never experienced um, going across the United States in a covered wagon. But when we read the Little House on the Prairie series, I felt like I was there. So I felt like in a sense I had experienced it.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I wonder too, you know, as we were talking, something that came to me is uh, keeping that Charlotte Mason book of firsts, You know, where every year, you know, for five years, you're recording like when you saw the first hummingbird and when there was the first frost and things like that. So you can be maybe more in touch with your own, the cycles where you are. It may not be where kind of the standard, you know, I'm thinking about leaves turning. You know, everybody talks about, oh, the leaves turn in October. Uh, Well, our leaves actually turn about the first week of December. (laughs) But just by being aware of that and knowing when it happens every year, I think would probably I may have to think about, you know, pulling that practice in and doing it. That might be helpful. What do you think?
1: Yeah. In fact, I think that you just hit upon the answer, which is that it's the principle and more than the practice. So. You can take these principles of observation, etc., but it doesn't mean it has to happen at exactly the same time.
0: Yeah, and just being aware. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: like I'll have to adopt that principle in Rome because I, I notice the leaves falling more and more, and it's the end of December, whereas in Michigan, everything is dead and covered under five feet of snow. So, but I'm still recognizing that in the winter stage, there's decline happening all around me. It's just much more subtle.
0: Yeah, it is. I think subtlety, that's, that's the big thing. Well, I know that you are a special friend of uh, Sheila Carroll, who we've had on the podcast before talking about storytelling. So talk to me a little bit about your relationship with storytelling. Why is it an important art for you?
1: Well, I've been interested in story since I was a kid and in storytelling and in theater. So when I met Sheila Carroll and Found out that she was a storyteller, and then when she introduced me to Charlotte Mason, I just kept saying to her every time we met, "But this is everything that I've thought. This is a calendar class. This is exactly it." And and how did I not know about Charlotte Mason? And she said, "When something is true, you will keep seeing it everywhere. Um, you'll you'll start making the connections. You'll it'll pop up over and over again." So I found that when I read Beauty in the Word or uh, School of the Family by uh, Chantel Howard. I keep saying, oh, but I thought that too. <laughs> so it's not original to me. If something is true, it's, uh, you'll see it everywhere. So so Sheila really um, lit a fire under me about uh, stories. And so I've been inspired by her to make that a part of our curriculum. And why is mainly because stories are the oldest form of learning and entertainment and I think um, for all ages, they're probably the most entertaining way to learn. Most storytellers just sit and speak. And that is a dramatic and direct way to pass on a story. And that's what we probably do every day with our children. But what I wanted to do with the kids was make it a storytelling theater. So the main part was the story, there is the story, but by adding theater arts, they have, they have the opportunity to learn all of those theater skills which are so interdisciplinary. So, for v- example, at some of the feasts, we have them do some recitations, uh, like Shakespeare recitations, something that they've memorized that's short. But how much more fun when they can design their own costume for the recitation or do some research about um, the, the music that would have been played at that time. Um, or work with another child and and do a a dialogue. So I just like to take storytelling and make it just a little bit theatrical, not put on a whole production, but give them the opportunity to spice it up and make it more fun.
0: Oh, that sounds like a fun addition to to calendar class. So,
1: well, we'll do that on a daily basis, though. So (laughs) I don't want to raise expectations, but um, we at least do it at the four feasts. And that's a way for us to entertain our guests, too.
0: Okay. And so leading up to that, you choose what you're going to do and spend a little time practicing.
1: Yes. Well, what we're doing starting this summer is I've uh, what has grown out of calendar class is a small cottage school called uh, Four Season Family. And the families that come to the Four Feasts, they're going to be coming now weekly to our farm. And we're going to be doing storytelling theater workshops So, that will be things like um, role playing, pantomiming, uh, lessons in oration. My mom was actually a high school theater teacher, so I'm going to rope her in. Um, We'll be studying the history of the play. Uh, We'll be talking, we'll be discussing it like uh, what kind of truths can we learn in this Shakespearean play. Um, We'll be doing set design, creating costumes. I may have said that already because I'm really into costumes. My daughter will do face painting, things like that. So we're going to work together with these other families in this uh, little cottage school. And then at the at the feast, we will put on a small production.
0: Oh, that sounds like so much fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, real quick, because
0: I know that you have had periods of time where uh, your kids were homeschooled and then also when they were in school. And then you've also had periods where some were in school and some were at home. But you've managed to keep your calendar class going through all of that, haven't you?
1: Yeah, because it just became part of what our family does. So I wasn't always able to do the morning time uh, calendar class. I tried to do that before they went off to school in the morning, but it didn't always work. So what I usually ended up doing was I put the things that I wanted to teach them in calendar class into family hearth ritual, and family hearth ritual became very long. So they would sit and color and it could go on for an hour or more. But it was the winding down bedtime routine anyway. So it worked for that season in our lives. But now I like to break it up since they're home with me all day. We break it up into several parts throughout the day.
0: I love it. And sometimes we do have families who listen who have some kids in school or who have all of their kids in school. And so just giving them that idea that, hey, this, this could be done in the evening is something you could do. Uh, I want to encourage them to do that. So, well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining me here today to talk about calendar class and how you've uh, really kind of made this wonderful seasonal morning time your own. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Pam. And thanks for being an inspiration as always.
0: And there you have it now if you would like links to any of the books or resources that andrea and i talked about today including links to andrea's own resources on calendar time you can find them in the show notes for this episode of the podcast those are at pambarnhill.com forward slash ymb 50 also on the show notes is a little tutorial to help you if you would like to leave a rating or review of the podcast on itunes We thank you so much for doing that because the ratings and reviews you leave help us get word out about the podcast to new listeners. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another great Morning Time interview. Until then, keep seeking truth, goodness, and beauty in your homeschool day.